0: Thank you, Debbie and Stephanie, and uh, Chris was just saying this to me, like, man, you are blessed. So many musicians sharing their gifts and talents, and we really are blessed. So many. The workers are the choir, a praise team. Uh, thank you all for all that you do to serve, and make worship possible each and every week. And like I said, we've been, uh, we actually just launched this new sermon series, Love Your City. And what's interesting about this sermon series is, I'm even learning this too, the challenge of realizing we may not be as, as loved as we think we are we may not be as caring as we think we are and one of the things I was thinking about this past week is is kind of sometimes the conditions I put on even little things sometimes like I'll be honest with you if I do something nice for someone I really want just A little acknowledgement just a little not always you know I'm not like saying throw me a party I'm not saying take me to Starbucks I mean if you offered I would certainly consider it but I I'm not saying that I'm just saying if we're at a four-way intersection and I you know let you out just a is good you know or a right but if you're like me and there's like nothing I'm like how dare you I let you out. I could have not let you out, but I let you out, you know? Just a little acknowledgement would be nice. And I'm probably exaggerating a little bit. But the truth is, I've learned that no one hates appreciation, right? I don't think anybody hates it. Now, there are people I know that don't like a big fuss made about them. Like, you know, if I pull you up on stage and say, this person did this, let us your appreciation, you would not like that. You would not like that. But I've yet to have anybody say, I can't stand it when someone shows me gratitude. That bothers me. I've yet to have anybody say that. Everyone, here's a good way to say it, everyone appreciates appreciation. Right? Everyone appreciates appreciation. We all like that to some extent. But, true confession, if you do something over and over for someone, something nice for them, and you don't get a single response of gratitude, over time, I'm going to soften the blow here, you are likely to ponder the idea of not doing that anymore. That was a nice, soft way to put that. Because we have nice people in this room. Now some of you are like, oh, it'd be a no-brainer. I tried a couple times, you're done. No gratitude, I'm out, you know. I like to call this the gratitude factor, and this is the gratitude factor. Our desire to help often operates on a sliding scale of appreciation. Eee, kinda true, isn't it? It's kinda true. It's like, if I, they'll really like this, they'll really appreciate this, so I'll do this. You know, I've actually uh, liked, uh, when I go on a trip of some kind, back when my kids were smaller especially, I always wanted to bring them back something. Even if it was just a little short trip, I'd bring them back something. And probably about seven times out of ten, it involved me stopping at a BP and getting a candy they like, you know. It wasn't like this grandiose thing. But I remember um, my Molly at at one point loved uh, the, the little starlight mints, but they were the green ones that were spearmint. And I thought, how awesome of a dad am I that I remember she likes those mints instead of the red peppermint ones. And I'm grabbing one of those at, at a convenience store going home and I hand those to her and I'm like, I, remember, I thought of you, I missed you. And she was like, oh. Turns out she left the spearmint phase. I don't remember when it happened, but at some point the spearmint phase is out. And I remember a wave of anger came over me, over these mints, like, you know, and I'm like, I I literally, I remember thinking to myself, well, fine, I'm not bringing you back anything else again when I go on a trip. Eh, See how you like that. You know, that's in my brain. I didn't say it out loud, but it was there. And, And I think that we had this sliding scale of appreciation. The least likely appreciated it will be, the least likely I will do that. I think most of us, whether willing to admit it or not, can track that way. But if we are, now we're going to shift gears, if we are determined to fulfill our God-given mission, to do whatever it takes to help every person take their next step with Jesus... We're going to have to get over some things and love the person in front of us. We're going to have to love whoever Jesus puts in our path. If we're determined to love our city like Jesus loves our city, then we need to be prepared to love even the ungrateful people around us. And why? Here's why. Because God has never let his love depend on his return on appreciation. Did you know that? I mean, imagine if we're like that, how every right God has to be the same way. (laughs) Like, how appreciated is God, (laughs) really, for all that he is, for all that he's done? I mean, think about this. Uh, He has loved people before they even believed he existed and still loves them anyway. He has loved people before even if they knew they existed, they didn't like him. And wanted to actually disprove him and yet he still loved them anyway. I mean this powerful verse Romans 5 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still ungrateful, he still died for us. So even knowing the responses he would get, Jesus still allowed himself to be nailed to that cross. And before even that happened, we catch a glimpse of how he operates in an encounter he had in Luke 17 that I want to read to you this morning, starting in verse 11. We're just going to read about nine verses. But he had this encounter that is pretty powerful that drives this point home. Now, if you were here last week, we talked a little bit about the area of Samaria. The Samaritans were a very despised people by the Jews. They were despised because they had, their ancestors had intermarried with non-Jewish people. They were seen as, as half-breed. They were seen as not truly belonging to God, and so they wouldn't let them anywhere near the temple. You can't worship in our synagogues. In fact, if people wanted to get past Samaria to Galilee, they would literally cross the Jordan River twice and go around Samaria just to get to Galilee. Well, in this encounter that we're going to see, Jesus was leaving Galilee to go south to Jerusalem, and as he always did, he didn't care. What the rest of the Jewish leaders thought, he traipsed right through Samaria every time. <laughs> that's what he did. That's what Jesus does. It's why you're here, because he traipsed through your Samaria at some point in your life. And that's why we're together worshiping today. So that's where we take up this account in Luke 17:11. It says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, "Jesus, Master, have mercy on us!" He looked at them and said, "Go show yourselves to the priests and as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, "Praise God!" He fell to the ground he fell to the ground at jesus 's feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man. Was a Samaritan. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. It's good stuff. Now it's interesting, if you were here last week, when we launched the sermon series, Jesus told a story to make a point That we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the Samaritan, a despised person where all of his hearers would be like, the Samaritan's the good guy, the hero of this story. Well now, this isn't a story, this really happened and the Samaritan really is the hero of a real thing that really happened. This one who most Jewish people would despise for religious reasons, he is the one that steps up. Now, there's a lot of subplots here in this story. I mean, leprosy, first of all, would represent, in Bible times, just about any skin disease, actually. Some people automatically, immediately go to the worst thing. But, full disclosure, if you had a rash, you'd have to show it to the priests. And if they weren't sure about things, and you can go back and read Leviticus and see how the law went, you could be forced to leave your family, stay away from the synagogue, and go away until that got better. And the only way you could be reunited with your family, be allowed to go to church again, the synagogue, which the church wasn't just a place of worship, it was a social center for every community. So basically, in order to no longer be an outcast in your village, in your community, you had to go back to the priest, let them see that it was gone, go through the rituals they would put you through, and then you could be reunited with your family. All right, so leprosy at its worst is a nasty, disgusting disease where body parts are rotting off. Yes. At its best, it's just a rash. But it was enough to keep you away from your family and and from your social center of that day. So when Jesus comes along and says, go show yourselves to the priest, that was pretty cool because they would only do that if they had reason to believe they were cleared up. As it turns out, when he said that, they still had leprosy. So it took a step of faith for all 10 of those guys to just start walking, (laughs) to go away from where they were, away from this isolated leper colony, and actually go show themselves to the priest. Because it says while they were going to the priest, they were healed, which is such an amazing miracle. But here's another little plot, another little subplot about this that's kind of cool, is apparently this one guy was the Samaritan of the group and the others were Jewish men. It's interesting because nine Jewish men would have normally nothing to do with a Samaritan. They were despised, they were looked down upon, they were less religious, they were rebels of the one true God. They wouldn't be caught dead with them. But it's amazing what a terminal disease will do in your life. It can tear down walls, apparently, because all ten of those guys were actually hanging out together. So they go... And while they were going, they were healed. And one came back, the Samaritan, to praise and thank God. Now let's get real for just a moment. On the one hand, if we're being really, really holy right now, we would say, how dare those nine guys not come back and thank Jesus, right? How dare them? I mean, what did, what, what, did he not, they not understand what Jesus did for them, that they wouldn't stop and go? But if we're being honest, you almost also can't blame them and say, Oh, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. Let's get to the priest right now because I miss my wife. I miss my kids. I miss my church. So on the other hand, you can't blame them for running to the priest either. All right? All right? going to talk about that in just a moment but let's not miss some of the really cool takeaways from this awesome awesome account this thing that happened reminds us that God can do anything right he can do anything let's never forget the simple truth of these amazing miracles that God can do anything and especially heal our hurts and let's never forget that any encounter with Jesus can be so life-changing it is life-changing And let's never forget that it takes a step of faith to experience the change God wants to do with us. Let's not forget that he can do anything, but it almost always requires some step of faith in order for us to experience the change that God wants to do in us. Now here's the thing, all ten of these men were healed, but only one worshipped Jesus. And you can make the argument that perhaps only one was spiritually healed. Jesus did something nice for a lot of people throughout his time walking this great earth. But not all of them worshipped him. He fed 5,000 men and their families. Oh, he was popular that day. Everybody was a big Jesus fan that day. But not all of them allowed him to change them to the very core of their soul. That still happens today. We have a world full of Jesus fans, but not necessarily Jesus followers. But for those who have given our hearts to Jesus and following him, the message is really getting clear here that, yeah, it's great that God can do anything. Yeah, it's great that he can do miracles, and it requires a step of faith to do so. But now let's be Jesus to the people around us. If we're going to love our city, if we're going to love our workplace, we're going to love our neighborhood, we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Even if nine out of ten times we do not get the desired response. Because if that happens, guess what? You're in great company. It happened to the Son of God also. And you know what I do? I get one bad response and I'm like crawling into my turtle shell. <gasps> I've been hurt. I have been rejected. I must not do this anymore. I have to wait. I have to recover from this first. Man, nine out of ten times Jesus didn't get the desired response. So how about us remember to have the same mind and heart that God has when it says, and we will remind you again, God has never let his love depend upon his return on appreciation. And I think if you're like me, there's times you're like, "Ah, I just don't know if this is making a difference or not. I don't know if this is making a difference or not. I don't know if helping this person is really going to change them or not. I don't know. Maybe I withhold because is it really making a difference. And I don't see anywhere in here that allows for that. We just love the person in front of us. We love the people that God has placed in our path. And cut the strings and just say, okay, I'll leave the results to you, God. Because if we're going to reach every person... With the gospel of Jesus Christ, in a county like this, where there's 85% unchurched, We're going to have to have the patience that God has too. We read this verse last week, 2 Peter 3, 9. The people were like, why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Why aren't we now worshiping in heaven and this old, hard, difficult world we live in has come to an end? Why hasn't this happened yet? And it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to be rescued. He wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to have their heart changed like that one Samaritan leper who turned around and worshiped him Don't you think Jesus knew I mean he's a son of God he knew nine of those guys weren't going to turn around and come fall at his feet He knew that already But he still healed all 10 anyway He still loved them anyway so why don't we do the same? I don't want to give you this really big, giant tip as we begin to close our time together this morning, this giant tip that I think will help us love our city, love our neighbor, love our family, love whoever God has put in front of us better. And this is the big tip. Replace your desire for appreciation with your satisfaction with obedience. That's a mouthful. But in order to love with a string attached and say I want to see a return on my love, I want to see return on my effort, I want to see a return on my energy, instead of letting that be the motivation that drives us, instead say if that's what God wants me to do, I will do it and I'll just leave the results to him. Obedience is my goal, not my appreciation, not my results, not my plan, not the outcome I desire. It's a big change to do that, but when we do that, friends, it's going to be huge. And listen, when we love with no strings attached, which, by the way, is what Jesus still does, a life can be changed. Even if it's only one out of ten. Even if it's just one out of ten, because guess what? The last time I looked, one out of ten is exponentially bigger than zero out of ten. And it's eternally bigger than zero out of ten. So, you can't get something out of nothing, so do something. Do something. Show love. Take time out of your schedule. Care for someone. Volunteer in some way. Just simply Make yourself available to make a difference in someone else's life with no strings attached. And statistics show that the door will get slammed in your face nine out of ten times. It's been field-tested by Jesus himself. We know this, but one changed life was worth it all for Jesus. How dare it not be worth it all for us? How dare it not be worth it all for us? After all, that's the point. After all, that's the mission. And after all, that's exactly how you make a difference. You can make a difference one person at a time. But in order for that to happen, we must ask God to change our way of thinking and maybe even change our heart to say, if I don't get appreciated, if they're not grateful, if they don't respond the way I've hoped, that's okay. I've done what Jesus asked me to do. Whatever that might be, and if you don't know what that might be, you come talk to us. There are so many things that that could look like. (laughs) Volunteering is—it's wide open, man. We have people we need to to greet guests on Sunday mornings, to change diapers, to love on kids, to be involved in music ministry, to go show up and be ready to have a great time and love on the people of Independence over there at Memorial Park on April 8th. It's wide open what you can do to make a difference. If you don't know how, you ask us—we'll help you know how but don't sit on the sidelines don't be a spectator and don't specifically and especially don't get discouraged when the outcome isn't what you'd hoped because if anybody deserved to be discouraged it was Christ join Jesus's club but realize one out of ten is worth it all love the ungrateful and watch lives get changed As we close, a couple of next steps to consider are this. First, I'm going to put you in, this sounds like, I actually wrote this down without realizing how funny it was. I wrote this down, I was like, that's pretty funny. I want you to put yourself in the skin of the lepers. (laughs) No thank you, right? What skin? No, I'm just teasing, that's horrible. Um, That was bad, I am so sorry. Forgive me. But I want you to put yourself in their situation. Let me say it that way. Listen. Have you let the nice things God has done for you change you? Not just externally. <laughs> have you let the nice things God has done for you change you? I've met a lot of people who appreciate, well, let me say it this way, a lot of people who are fans of God, but they don't follow him has it really changed you from the inside out? I hope you're challenged to be more like that one Samaritan who realized the most important thing was to make sure he encountered Jesus again and cling to Jesus again. Yeah, great, there's nice things happening. The fact that I've breathed in and out God's good air all day without having to think about doing it is something that should cause me to buckle at my knees and praise him and worship him even right now but if I just stop there and don't say and by the way why don't you take the reins of my heart why don't you take the steering wheel of my life I'm yours God that's a huge step that will take you to a place you've never gone before and if you've not done it I encourage you to consider that as your next step today don't just be like isn't it great how how good God is no how about isn't it great how God is changing me making me different that's what he wants to do But then, beyond that, let's now put yourself in a skin we can't even imagine putting ourselves in, the skin of Jesus himself. Will you love like he does? Willing to love, no matter what the response of a free-willing human being might be as a result of it. We weren't called to fix the results. We were called to love with action. Are you doing that? And if not, ask God right now, okay, God, show me What I need to do today to show your love to the someone you've placed right in front of me. Because it could make a difference for all of eternity. All right?